Thank you for being here. Good morning, church. Good morning. Thanks for uh, joining us here in worship this morning. I want to welcome you to a brand new year here, not only at Penn State University, but also here at Alliance Christian Fellowship, ACF. Uh, as Andrew mentioned, I'm seeing a lot of new faces and some returning faces. And so let me just, if, if I can just take all of 10 seconds to introduce myself to you here real quick, because my life is not that interesting. It can fit in 10 seconds, okay? Uh, I just want to introduce myself to you just so you know who I am. Um, I, my name is Dan Min. I serve as the pastor here at Alliance Christian Fellowship. And um, uh, I am originally a New Yorker, born and raised in New York City all my life. And uh, I'm married to my lovely wife wife, Nicole, for, um, oh, don't know what that was, uh, uh, been married to her for 17 years, and we have two wonderful little boys. Can we put a, I think we, I got a picture of our, our family, just so you know, you have a kind of a snapshot of, of what my family, so there's my lovely family there. Uh, we have two boys, Jake and Luke, Jake, who is 13, and uh, Luke, who is turning 11 at the end of this end of this year, Luke is on the end, and Jake is on the middle, and that's my bride, Nicole. And so if you see them running around, that's who they are, and don't be afraid to say hello. Uh, my kids love that they're part of a college church. They're, they're like, we've got like a hundred aunts and uncles. This is amazing. This is the best life, and so they love it. So please feel free to uh, say hello to them, introduce yourself to them. About eight years ago, um, God called our family out of New York uh, to move out here to Happy Valley to pastor this amazing college church called Alliance Christian Fellowship. And over the course of those eight years, we've had the joy of watching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and then some hundreds more of college students commit to following after Jesus during their time here at Penn State. In fact, many of them have now gone on to serve in different ministries. Many of them serve in their local churches and lead different ministries all over the world. Some of them have gone to help plant churches. Some of them have gone to serve in overseas missions. We've had folks find Jesus here for the very first time in their lives. They found life in Christ right here within our faith community. And it's been such a joy to be a part of it all. And the best part of all of it is I believe God's not done. I believe God's not finished. I believe God is still very much on the move, not just over the last eight years, but I believe God is wanting to do a new thing in your lives included in this next season, which is why I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thrilled that you've chosen to worship with us. Now, uh, you need to know ACF is, is sort of a unique ministry. We're not just a campus ministry, but we're also a church on campus. Uh, now, I know that many of us here sitting in this room, you may be connected to a campus ministry, and, but, but you come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings, and that's, that's something unique about us. Um, but, but not only are we a church on campus that opens our doors to anyone and everyone that's looking for a place, a community to worship with, we're also a church for college students. Uh, it doesn't mean that if you're not a college student, we're going to kick you out, okay? We have no plans to scan IDs at the door or anything like that. But, but if you look around, this is a room full of college students. And, and that in and of itself makes our church something that is special and unique. But not only that, not only are we a church for college students, but we're a church led by college students. The ministry of this church, whether, uh, I don't know if you know this, is, is carried on the shoulders of your peers and your coll fellow college students. The vision and the mission of this church was born out of, is guided by, and directed by a board of elders who are all students. 
The ministries of this church are various ministries that we have in this church are overseen and led by deacons and deaconesses who are all students, trustees who are all students. And that's because at our core, we believe that Jesus came to build his church, Matthew 16, 18. And we believe that you, college students, you are what Jesus is building. And so if we here at ACF can help you, equip you, empower you, encourage you to be the church while you're here at Penn State, man, we so want to do that. We so want to be a part of that journey. And so, again, if you call this place your home church, home away from home, we would be delighted to journey with you in that way and uh, excited to lean into all that God has for us in this next season. So, That's a little bit about me, my family, our church community here. While I can talk on end about, on and on about, you know, all of those things, I do have a message to share with you. I believe God's got a word for us here this morning, and I'd hate for us to miss that opportunity to receive his word. And so, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be looking today. Deuteronomy in your Bible is the fifth book of the Old Testament. Not quite yet, Andrew. I'll call you up in just a minute. Um, that's all right. That's all right. He's ready, man. He's ready to go. It's the, it's the start of the semester. Brain's working right now. Just wait till halfway through. All right. Um, we're going to be looking in chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to display the text up here on the screen in just a moment. We're kicking off a brand new series as we kick off a brand new semester here called Essentials. Essentials. And the tagline for the series is Ancient Beliefs for Today. Friends, how many of you know what you believe matters? What you believe matters. Now, in fact, if you would be so kind, I know this is like, this is the first Sunday. Some of us were like, I don't know everyone in here. We're the family of God. We're going to get real close real quick here. And so here, just for a moment, I want you to turn to a neighbor and tell them what you believe matters. Go ahead and turn to a neighbor. Turn towards someone right next to you. What you believe matters. Tell them what you believe matters. All right, now, I want you to turn to the other neighbor and tell them what you believe matters. What you believe matters. That's right. What you believe, friends, deeply, deeply matters. Why? Why is this a reality? Because what you believe sets the course for everything else in your life. What you believe sets the course. What you believe largely determines how you live this life. And so, for instance, what you believe about how life works, you might have a certain perspective on that. What you believe about relationships What you believe about God, what you believe about your future, about marriage, about your career path, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about other people, all of these things have a significant impact on how we live our lives. And you want to know the truth? The truth of the matter is this. We are constantly being indoctrinated by all sorts of influences all around us. And what I mean by that is we're being taught every single day to uphold belief systems that are set by, for example, the world, our culture, by our government in some capacities, by social media standards, by political parties, by advocacy groups, by friend groups, by social spheres of influence that we let in into our lives. The the list can go on and on and on, but the truth of the matter is this. Our belief systems, believe it or not, are constantly being shaped and molded even when we don't fully realize that's what's happening. We're constantly being indoctrinated by all sorts of influences all around us, 
all the time. And friends, how many of you know there are some crazy beliefs out there? Right? We live in a crazy world in a crazy time where there, there are some belief systems out there where you're, you're, you're ending up you're scratching your head and like, do people actually believe that? Like, this, that, that seems crazy, right? Like, there, there, there are belief systems out there, and we are we're being influenced by these belief systems on the regular, even in those moments when we don't realize that's what's happening. And so the reason why we're doing this series, friends, is twofold. Number one, it's course correction. Course correction. Friends, hear me. There are certain things that we believe that are just not true. Oh, Dan, you can't say that in 2022. That's not cool. You can't, like, you can believe what you want to believe, but don't come at me and tell me that what I believe is not true. But friends, if I might be so bold as to say here this morning, not everything that we believe is accurate or true. There have been moments in my life where I, I believed in things that just were flat out just not true. Weren't, they weren't accurate. Every once in a while, our belief systems need some course correction. That's one reason why we're doing this series. The second reason why we're doing this series is what I like to call creedal confirmation. Creedal confirmation. Not just course correction, but creedal confirmation. In other words, we don't want to just call out our wrong beliefs. We want to identify the right ones. We want to come alongside together and align ourselves under the right beliefs. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you grew up in a church or a church tradition where uh, on a Sunday morning it was, it was custom, customary for you to recite, say, the Apostles' Creed? Anyone grew up in a church like that? Yeah, a bunch of you. Okay, awesome. I grew up in a United Methodist Church all my life, and so every Sunday morning we would get up and we would recite the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed went something like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born uh, of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and dead and buried. He was uh, crucified and, and, and he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, who will then come to judge the quick and the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Every Sunday we would do that. Not quite at that speed. That's more 2.5 speed, but you get the point, right? You, some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, yep, I did that. That was my Sunday service every Sunday. Well, what is that? What is that? What are we doing there? That is creedal confirmation. That is the church gathering together and saying, this is what we believe. It's confirming together what we believe. That's what a creed is. A creed is simply a confession of a belief system. And throughout this series, I want us to be able to clearly identify what it is that we believe. Friends, if I were to come alongside you today and ask you, what do you really believe as a follower of Jesus? How might you answer that question? If I were to ask you, let's take it one step further, what is essential? What are your essential beliefs as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? Would you have a response for that? Would you have an adequate answer for that? Are you able to identify these are the things that are essential to being a follower of Jesus? That's creedal confirmation. And today, in this passage, we discover our first piece of creedal confirmation and course correction. Now, I realize we got some tech issues. The guys are working hard back there, but uh, trusting that you have your Bibles out. If you have a Bible app, you can take that out here now. We're going to look at our first piece of doctrine. 
Uh, just just don't, don't be, don't be uh, turned off by that word doctrine. Uh, doctrine is simply a certain belief about a subject or a topic. That's what doctrine is. That's all that doctrine means. And today I want to briefly explore the doctrine of God. The doctrine of God. What we believe about God. And so we're going to do that by looking at this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, picking up in verse 4. We're going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. And so at this time, Andrew's going to come on up and read today's scripture passage for us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit at home and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go around other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst and is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. That's kind of a rough way to end a passage, isn't it? Right? This, this, uh, this talk about this jealous God who will wipe away all people from the face of the earth. But, you know, friends, I think this would actually be an appropriate place to start this message. Let's try that again. I think this would be an appropriate place to start this message and to begin to talk about what it is Nope. Andrew, let me get that mic. Awesome. Isaac, kill me. All right. There we go. Awesome. Okay. Check, check. All right, there we go. There we go. Okay, sorry. It's, just, it's a student-led church, man. We're, just, we're rolling with the punches, man. We don't, we don't know what the crap we're doing around here, but we're just saying, we're, we're going with it. We're going with it. This is a, the, the end of this passage is, would it be an appropriate place to start this message? Because in many ways, um, when it comes to the doctrine of God, our belief of God, wouldn't you say that the average person, the average person in the Western civilization here in 2022, have a perspective of God that is born out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 15, right? It's like God is a jealous God. He's an angry God. He's a vindictive God. And quite frankly, he's a God who's out to destroy anyone and everyone who would refuse to bow down and worship him. And so, and so we, we hear that and we think that, and so it's no wonder why people are turned off by God, people are turned off by faith, people are turned off by the church, by Christianity and all those things, because if that is what you believe, at the end of the day, what you're left with is a religion that is ugly, that is hateful, and quite frankly, utterly hopeless. That, that's what you're left with. And to be completely honest, if that's the God that we worship, I'm telling you right now, 
I'm out. I would want no part in a religion like that. I would want no part in a faith system like that and a belief where we hold this perspective of God who is out to get me, who is hateful, who is vengeful and vindictive, and, he, and, and, and that's the kind of, he's just angry all the time. I don't know if you grew up with an angry dad. I grew up with an angry dad. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not a good time. So if that's the kind of perspective that we have of God, then yeah, you know what? I think I'm out. But is that what this passage is saying about God? You know, it's easy to arrive at that kind of conclusion if the only verse you're building your entire doctrine of God is verse 15. If verse 15 is all you had to work with to build a doctrine of God, which, by the way, I would never build any sort of belief system on a single verse. That's terrible practice. That's terrible hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the, 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 the process of in scripture interpretation. You never want to build an entire doctrine, an entire belief system upon a single verse. But many of us, we hear a verse like that, and we're like, see, that's your God? No, I, I, don't, I don't want that. But, but is that really what this passage is saying? Well, not really, because you got to look at the whole passage. You see, the passage opens up here, notice, with the language of love of all things. Just look back here for one second. In, in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and it says, You shall love. Everyone say that word with me. Love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, listen real quick. This is not a throwaway verse here. I think for some of us, we read this passage and we're like, ah, you know, that, that's just, okay, let's move on to the next interesting thing. This is not an insignificant passage of Scripture. In fact, these two verses are so significant that Jesus reiterates this. He comes back to this in the New Testament when he's asked about Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all time? I mean, give me the goat. Give me the go law. Give me the, like, what is the greatest commandment of all time? And Jesus quotes from this very passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that's because these two verses is what has historically been known all throughout the course of ancient history as the Shema. The Shema. The Shema is a Hebrew prayer that the ancient people of God prayed daily, morning, and evening. It was sort of the daily rhythm. I don't know how many of you guys have locked into a daily rhythm, a daily routine at the start of the semester. Maybe you came in, you're like, oh, this is going to be the best semester yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up at 5 in the morning. I'm going to go to the gym, hit the white building. Like, I'm going to get my thing in and then just charge the day forward, right? Like, and then week two hits, you're like, ah, screw it. You know, it's like, ah, just, you know, like this daily rhythm, this daily routine. For the ancient people of God, part of their daily rhythm was morning and evening. Every single day, they would recite this prayer, the Shema. It was an ancient prayer. It was their daily liturgy. It was their version of creedal confirmation. You see, it's as the people of God, their entire belief system around who God was and how they were to relate to God was built entirely on the premise of love. That was their starting point. When it came to their doctrine of God, their understanding of God, it started. The starting line was love. This was how they were to relate to God. They worked out of a 1 John chapter 4 kind of perspective. God is love. He is not hateful. He's not vengeful. He's not vindictive. Rather, God is love. And because God so loved us, so we love him with all of our heart, 
with all of our soul, with all of our might. And in case the people of God forgot that this was the God that they served, Moses goes on and he reminds them in verse 10. And in verse 10 he says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, right? You you remember this like in Exodus and Numbers and all this proceeding up up to this point. God gave this promise. Hey, I'm going to bring you into this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to make you a great nation among all the nations. And, 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 then, and then the Israelites, just they, they just couldn't get their act together. They, 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 they were wandering through the desert and all these things. And finally, they're there. And Moses is saying, okay, guys, God's about to give this land to you. When the Lord your God brings you into this land to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. And houses full of all good things that you did not fill. And cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. In other words, what Moses is saying here to the people of God is remember who God is. Remember who your God is uphold and hold on to, clench and do do what you can to grasp a proper doctrine of God. You want to know who God is? He is the God who gives you good things, even when you've done nothing to deserve any of it. These cisterns, you didn't dig them. These vineyards, you didn't plant them. But God is a good God who gives you good things, even when you've done nothing good to deserve any of it. This God, you want to know who this God is? He is a God who provides for your every aching human need. Don't forget that. You remember back in the desert when bread fell from heaven, manna fell from heaven, and and God struck water from this rock? Don't forget, God is the one who will provide for your every aching human need. He's a God who gives you in abundance and fullness. You will eat and be full. God is the one who gives you in abundance and fullness and will never fall short of that. He'll never fall short of that. God gives you and provides for you in abundance. He's a God who will withhold no good thing from those whom he loves. He's the God of grace. He's the God of mercy. He's the God of compassion. He's the God of love. And friends, I wonder if that's a word for us today. And not just a a word of reminder for the people of God, but I wonder if for some of us we need that reminder Almost in sort of a liturgical way, like every week we need to gather. And partly why we gather for church on Sundays is not just to check off the box and say, I went to church. The reason for this gathering is so that we can have sort of a creedal confirmation and perhaps even a course correction from last week to come together and we say, hey, let's remember who God is. May we remember the God that we serve. May we remember the God that we are that we submit our lives to, let's not forget who this God is. See, that's what Moses was doing for the people of, of Israel in this passage. Reminding them that we serve a God who is bountiful in grace and mercy and love. That's who God is. But then we come to this weird part in the passage. At the end, we come full circle now, and it seems to take a bit of a weird turn. We read that God is a jealous God talking about his anger, destroying people from the face of the earth. Like, like, how do we make sense of that in light of where we've come from? Again, like, if, if all of this shook out, 
without that last verse, I, I like we'd be like, yeah, I, I like that God. Like that, that's awesome. But like then we come to this like this jealous God. How do we make sense of that? I would submit to you, friends, that God's jealousy is not like our human jealousy. And let me explain this. God's jealousy is not like our human jealousy. In other words, God's jealousy is not rooted in his own ego or his insecurities. Isn't that, isn't, aren't those the moments when we get the most jealous? Like, I, just true confession, for a lot of my life, I had major jealousy issues. Like, like whenever I was dating a girl and, like, another guy would talk to my girl, like, it just, it's, it's embarrassing to even admit, you know, but, like, it's like, you know, don't talk to my girl, man. Like, that, that's just back off, you know. Like, you know, I got jealous. I didn't like it. There was something in me, ugly things in me that just rose up. It was insecurity. It was my ego being challenged. Not, not only in my sort of dating relationships did I see this, but I also saw it in my working relationships. When I was in ministry early on, I would see my other colleagues and other friends succeeding in ministry. They were, they were experiencing growth in their churches and all these things. I'd be like, dang you. You know, like, I want, that should be me. That's my success. Like, that should, and jealousy and envy began to rise up. And wouldn't you agree, jealousy can be an ugly thing when it rears its head in our lives. See, jealousy, human jealousy for us is rooted oftentimes in ego and insecurities. But jealousy in this case was never about God's ego being bruised or his insecurities being stirred. You see, God's jealousy is actually rooted in his sovereign omniscience. There's a good doctrinal word there, right? What do we believe about God? We believe that God is omniscient. He is all Knowing Our God is an all-knowing God to the point where he would urge us, get this, okay, you need to understand where this is coming from because without this understanding, this whole God being a jealous God is going to be, it's going to miss us. God is an all-knowing God to the point where he would urge us to turn away from all things and to turn to him. To look to him, to, to not turn to other gods or other idols as mentioned in We back on? All right, let's, uh, y'all just need to start interceding for these uh, sound, sound equipments because it's not, it's not cooperating here. But you know what? God is still good. All right, the, the thing about understanding this is seeing it from the filter of God's sovereign omniscience. He comes to the people of God, and he's, Moses is, is basically talking to the people. And he says, don't look to these other gods. Don't look to the, these idols, but rather look to, look to him and look to God, to him alone. But again, you need to understand this. This is not because God is some egotistical divine maniac who's like, make it about me. Like that, that's what I was doing when I was growing jealous of my friends' success in ministry. Like, make it about me, make it about my success, make it about all these things. And it's not because God was so insecure that he would say, okay, like, don't turn to other gods. Turn to me, please, please, please. So, so, so you know, he wasn't like out of fear, begging for our worship of him in fear that we won't. He calls us to look to him and him alone 
Because God, out of his sovereign omniscience, knows that he is the only one who can truly satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. God knows that he is the only one who can provide for our every need that we come across. God knows that the peace that we're looking for in all these different places can only be found in him. That's what sovereign omniscience is. God says, I'm not jealous like how you get jealous. You know what I mean? Like, like because like your ego is being tested or your insecurity is being, no, no, no. I'm a jealous guy. I want you to turn to me. I want you to look to me. In fact, Matthew, uh, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this himself, right? He says what? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Don't go to all these other places. Come to me and I will give you rest. Because I know that I hold the keys that you're looking for that will unlock the, the deepest longings of your heart, the satisfaction of your soul. I've got that. So come to me. Come to me. And this is why the Shema opens up by saying, the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. Not many, but the Lord is one. Meaning there is only one true God. One true God who is worthy of our worship worthy of our love, worthy of our pursuits. And that's why every day, morning and night, the people of God confirm this creed together. We shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. Now, as we bring this message to a close, I want to bring this just a little closer to home. Because the truth of the matter is this. Doctrine talk isn't really helpful if it doesn't engage our everyday lives. Right, like we could talk about doctrine from a theoretical standpoint, from a sort of a theological standpoint, but but theology has to work its way into our lives. Otherwise, it's empty theology. It's dead theology. And so, and so, if we believe that what we believe deeply impacts our lives, I want to give you two very important questions that I think we need to wrestle with as we consider the doctrine of God. And the first question is this: What do you believe about God? This is going to require some soul searching on your part. What do you believe? Like even before you came into the service, even before this semester started, even before you came back on, like just, just think about like if you were just to take a walk down, you know, and just like take a day and just ponder this simple question, what do I actually believe about God? The author and pastor A.W. Tozer once famously said, what comes into our minds about God is the most important thing about us. <laughs> what comes into our minds about God is the most important thing about us. Because what we believe about God will color and influence everything about life. Everything. And so when you think about God, what comes to mind? I, I, there's a part of me that would love to even just take a, like a, a conversational break here in the message and say, like, can, can, we, can we talk about this? Like, what, what is it that we actually believe about God? Does, in other words, does your understanding of who God is line up with the kind of God that we talked about here today? A loving, gracious, merciful God who invites us into fellowship and union with him. Is that the kind of God that comes to mind? If the God that comes to your mind doesn't sound like the God that you heard about today, can I encourage you to pray a very simple prayer? Pray that in the coming days, God would reveal who he is to you. 
There are certain prayers that God will answer. There are certain prayers that God loves to answer. This prayer, God, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show me who you are? Is a prayer that God loves to answer. If you're bold enough to pray it, I believe that God will be faithful enough to answer it. God, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. Help me, God. Help me realign my perspective to your true nature. Who do you believe God is? What do you believe about God? Now, the second question is a bit harder to process, and yet I believe it's equally as important as the first question, and that is, what are the idols in your heart? (sighs) This is a heavy one. As I was preparing this message, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying that there are idols that have a stronghold in our lives and are gripping our lives, but we are blind to them and we refuse to identify them as they are, as idols. What are the idols in your heart? Real quickly, did you catch verse 14 in today's passage? Verse 14, it said, you shall not Go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. You shall not go after other gods. Can I ask you this morning, friends, what are the things that you're going after in your life? What are the things that you're going after in your life? You know, some of us are going after a perfect GPA. You know, like some of us, we're going after academic success or maybe it's career ambitions, Like you got that thing in mind, that end goal in mind, and man, you're running full bore after that thing. Like that is is what you're going after. Some of us are going after money or or maybe not even explicitly money, but a career path that that will make you the most money at the end of the day. We've made it a personal goal uh, to become filthy rich, right? Like I want to be... Bezos, I want to be Musk like that. Like that's my goal to acquire this massive amount of wealth. And and, and folks, uh, let me just say this: for many of us who come from that vantage point, um, are coming from a place where maybe for you growing up, you, you didn't have a whole lot. And so the, the the idol isn't actually money; it's fear. Fear has a grip on your life because you're afraid that you're going to somehow revert to that place that you grew up from. And so to, to combat that, you say, I'm going, to, I'm going to make this my goal, to go after this kind of ambition. Some of us, some of us are going after romantic relationships. Some of us are so sick and tired of being single and alone that we made it a life goal to go after that special someone. Now, I know it's easy for me to say as a married man, you know, it's like, Dan, you got yours. I don't got mine. Help me get mine, brother man. Like, and then we can have a conversation, right? Like, but that, that's not what, but some of us, can we, can we just be honest here? We're a college church, you know, like, and, you know, you, you, you got 45,000 people who are viable candidates, Maybe not all 45, okay? You know, like, we should probably shrink that down to maybe, like, a, a couple of thousand. I don't know. But, but you look out, and you're like, man, I just, I'm, I'm so tired of being alone. I'm so tired of being single. I'm, and so you have this sort of intrinsic thing that where you're going after that special someone. Some of us are going after the approval or the praise of man. This is a big one where everything that we do is so that we might get recognized and praised. 
We're after the next word of affirmation. We're after the next word of praise. And so we end up living life more like performers where life is our grand stage, where we're seeking the applause of crowds, where we're seeking the applause of man. Some of us are going after greatness. Some of us are going after reputation. Some of us are going after comfort or happiness. You want to know the truth, friends? None of these are bad things. I hope you find that special someone, single friend. I do. I hope you find comfort and happiness. I hope you find the job that you're looking for. I hope you make tons of money. And then give to ACF when you do make all that money. Like, just, just remember us, you know, our poor college church here that we're trying to advance God's mission and his kingdom. You know, praise God. I want all of that for you. But as Tim Keller once said, an idol is usually a good thing that we make an ultimate thing. That's what an idol is. By the way, if you want a great book on this, Counterfeit Gods is a great book. I know some of our folks are in the process of reading through that. Tim Keller wrote this book, Counterfeit Gods. But he says, an idol? You want to know what an idol is? It's not a golden calf. It's not these Asherah poles that are set up as in the Old Testament. It's a good thing that you make an ultimate thing. Where we say, unless I have that, I am nothing. Unless I have that job, I am nothing. Unless I have the approval of this crowd, I am nothing. Unless I have this goal achieved, I am nothing. Unless I have a 4.0 GPA graduating from Penn State, I am nothing. Unless I have this thing, I am nothing. Friends, that is nothing short of anti-gospel. The gospel says you are everything because you're in Christ Jesus. Not because you pursue and acquire all these things, but because of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for you, you are, friends, everything. But idols have a way of convincing us that unless I have this, I am nothing. See, the point is this. If your pursuit of some of these things are burning brighter and hotter than your pursuit after the one true God, you are effectively going after other gods, whereby you have an issue of idolatry of the heart. That's the bad news. The good news, there's a way forward. And the only way forward is through repentance. See, repentance is, is quite literally a heart course correction. Repentance is saying, I'm going this way, and then, oh, crap, I'm going the wrong way. i got to turn around and go the right way. That's what repentance is. And so if, if the Holy Spirit is beginning to reveal certain idols in your heart, things that you have been pursuing uh, with, with more rigor and passion than you have, the one true God, can I offer you a simple prayer? A prayer that says, Lord, I repent of these idols. I have gone after these other gods. I no longer want to make these things my primary pursuit. Lord, help me to love you with all my heart, soul, and might. And again, if you're bold enough to pray that prayer, I believe God is faithful enough to answer it. As a worship team comes forward to prepare us to close us, I want to give you some space to answer these questions for yourselves. As you're chewing on this, maybe you're already, some, some thoughts and some things are, are surfacing in your own heart, but if you, I just want to give us uh, adequate space for you to answer these questions. Now, you can answer both of them. What do you believe about God? What is it that I believe about God? Where have I not seen God from an accurate perspective? Or maybe, you know, uh, some idols are, are starting to, to surface. You can answer both of them or you can focus on one of them. But I'd love for us to take a brief moment to ask ourselves the question, okay, Lord, 
if, 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 the, if the ancient prayer that the Hebrew people prayed, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, Lord. If that is actually true, Lord, that, that, that I serve a God of love, I serve a God of compassion, Lord, help me, help me to see that. Help me to see your true nature. And Lord, if there are certain places where I have gone after other gods, oh Lord, would you bring me back? Would you bring me back? And I can't think of a better way to start the semester than saying, oh God, set my course on the right track. As we begin this new year together, as we, as we set out for a new semester, a new season of, of kingdom activity on this campus, Lord, we, we prayed it earlier, but we want to pray it again. God, we want to make it about your glory. We want to make it about you pursuing the one true God. We, want, we don't want to go after these other gods. We sang it earlier. I, I, I won't bow down to any idols. I'll hold on to what is true. So, Lord, in this place, as, as your people are processing with you and inviting the Holy Spirit of God to come and, and, and reveal things to us that may be hidden or that may be under the surface. Oh, Lord God, would you show us what you want us to see here in this moment?